Man, hello everybody. Welcome. Welcome all you watching online. We're so happy you're here. South Campus, 9 a.m. People, I love you. Uh, seriously, I'm so excited about what God is doing uh, here in South Austin. I want to reiterate what Ray just said, which was that Freedom Day is coming on November 13th. And I want to lean into why that's so important. Uh, because here's the thing. We all have moments and areas in our life where like, we had a button that we could push that button and those issues would go away. How many of you would say, I'll take the button, right? Like that we all need some freedom, some breakthrough. What Freedom Day is, is a timeout where we say, hey, we're going to meet in this place. Our team is going to be here and we are going to do some deep work in God to allow some of these things that have been roadblocks for us to be places of breakthrough in us. Amen. And so I want to encourage you, if you need freedom in any way, shape or form, do not miss Freedom Day. We do these all the time, and every single one of them is powerful in such a rich time in God. So November 13th, 9 a.m., right here in our South Campus, it's going to be amazing. Now, uh, we are in week two of our Freedom Series. Did you guys enjoy last week? Were you blessed? Were you encouraged? Uh, I started last week, and I'm going to start this week uh, by reading Romans 12.1, because it really frames for us, anchors, if you will, our whole desire uh, over these next uh, few weeks as we journey through this series together. And it says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We live in a day and age where complaining is at an all-time high. Uh, I don't know the stat, and I'm not going to make it up for you, but it's astronomical, the amount of plaint, complaints that happen now in restaurants. It doesn't compare to the complaints they had pre-COVID, post-COVID, we just like to complain more. Airlines, as we talked about last week, all-time high, people losing their minds, on airplanes, just this last week, another airplane had to emergency land, not because someone had a medical emergency, because somebody was trying to fight a flight attendant. What is happening? The struggle that we are experiencing inside of us is starting to bleed out of us. The things that we are dealing with on the inside is starting to affect what's happening around us on the outside. And last week, what we did, we leaned into Elijah, this prophet in the Old Testament, and he had a moment where he hit a wall in his life. And this is what he prayed in 1 Kings 19 for, Lord, I have had enough. Lord, I have had enough. How many of you have an area in your life where you're like, God, I've had enough? Or you're like, God, I've, I've seen too much. I'm experiencing too much pain. I've seen too much pain. Lord, I have had enough. And these moments where we hit these walls in our lives, they don't show us our limitations. Those walls are actually invitations into us starting to see our lives the way that God sees our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, Paul, the guy who wrote this, actually was writing this from a wall that he had hit in his life. And God speaks this to him. My grace is sufficient for you 
because my power is made perfect in weakness. When we hit walls of fear, of frustration, of pain, disappointment, hurt, or even a faith crisis, they're, they're not simple mirrors that just show us how weak we are. No, they, they are doors that allow us to step into who God says that we are. And today, what I want to do is I want to lean into a wall that no matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter where you grew up, how you grew up, your life experience, this wall has come for us all, and it's the wall of suffering. How do we suffer well? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that even in the challenging parts of our lives, you have a plan for us to prosper us and not to harm us. Lord, that you take everything that the enemy wants for evil and you turn it for good. And we're asking that today our hearts and our minds would come alive as we read your word and we would be transformed into your likeness. And everybody said... I'm going to do that end just one more time because some of you must have forgotten where you are because you're not at church. I mean, you're not watching golf. You're at church. Okay. So, and everybody said, thank you. Um, I have two brothers. Both of them are younger. One of them is saved. The other one, we're unsure. No, I'm joking. We just haven't seen the fruit. No, I'm joking. He watches all my sermons. He's an amazing guy. He actually loves Jesus incredibly. But, but his name is Jake, and Jake has a PhD in driving me crazy. Does anybody else have a sibling that has gotten their, their doctorate in being the most annoying human being in the face of the earth? Now, actually, Jake and I are literally best friends now. We talk almost every week. We, we have an, a fantastic relationship. But growing up, that was not the case at all. Growing up, it was World War III in our home every single day. Liz, my beautiful wife, we have four kids, and sometimes our kids have a little bit of conflict, and she'll like come in and be like, oh my gosh, I just want them to be friends. I just have to say, time out. Like, our kids are not even fighting. Like, they, they, like, walk by each other and say, like, ooh, you know, and you're like, oh, I want to be, I'm like, me and my, we were going to blows. Like, we were, we hated each other. Like, it's going to be okay. And, and so my brother, Jake, who has the PhD in being annoying, um, would frame me for things that I didn't do. And this was the thing that, that drove me the most crazy. I would be in my room, of course, spending time with God, okay? I would be in my room, and all of a sudden, I would hear, stop! JD, stop! I'm like, what? JD, get your hands off of me. Leave me alone. Then I'd hear my mom, JD, get down here. I would go downstairs, like, just like, what? And she was like, get, get in our room. You're going to get a spanking. I'm like, I didn't do anything. She was like, then why was your brother hollering? I'm like, because he's a liar. I mean, and literally, I would be taking my licks, okay, and looking at him, grinning. I hated him. I hated him because, you know what? That was not fair. That's not fair, man. Like, it's not fair to be accused of something that you didn't do and then to get punished for it. Here's the thing. You know what happens in my life now? Jake is not framing me, but life is dishing things at me that are not fair. 
And I want to have the same response. This is not fair. I look out in this room, the way that COVID has jacked up some of your businesses, not fair. Things that have happened in your life relationally, not fair. People getting sick and dying, not fair. The list goes on and on and on. Areas that are, are so loud right now where we just scratch our heads and we're just like, this is not fair. Like it's one thing to struggle because you did something. It's another thing to struggle just because it's a struggle. And I think this is why suffering is so important for us to understand. Because oftentimes when we run into the wall of suffering, that's the first thing that we say, this is not fair. This is not fair. Why is this person sick, man? Like they do, they're amazing. Why, why, why did they lose their business? Man, they've done everything right. Why did their spouse cheat on them? They're trying so hard. It's not fair. And how we respond to that question will lead us into a place of our heart being tough or our heart staying tender. Hear me. Suffering will take you one of two places. It'll either toughen you, callous you, or it will be an invitation into tenderizing you. And God is after a tender heart, not a tough heart. Am I talking to anybody this morning? There's a lot of reasons why suffering is challenging for us to wrap our minds around. And I would say if I'm being fully transparent, I have to take a little bit of ownership on behalf of the big C church that I don't think that we have set ourselves up to be able to suffer well. Because we have emphasized faith and we have put faith at odds with suffering. This is not biblical. This is North American church evangelical. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We can suffer well and have a heart filled with faith. They do not operate separate from one another. They actually strengthen one another. I love talking about faith. If I have a gift, I say I would probably have a gift of faith. I love looking at impossible things and saying, God's got it. I love it. It fires me up. As a church planter, it's what keeps you going is that you look at what could be in heaven and you're like, man, I'm in for that. I love faith. I read passages like Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I'm like, I want to earnestly seek you. I, 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 I want to please you. Like I, I, I want to have faith, God. And then I read Matthew 17, 20, and it says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I remember reading this like as a teenager, like my heart on fire for God. And I'm like, I'm going to try to move some stuff. Anybody else? Anybody else try to walk on water in their backyard if they had a pool? 
come on. Y'all a bunch of liars. I know I'm not alone in this. I'd be in my backyard be like, I believe, God, I believe. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to look at you. Drowning. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> look, look, I'm like, God, you said I could move a mountain. Surely I could move that cup. Y'all better be glad that y'all did not know me when I was 14. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us that we are to live by faith and we are not to live by sight. And listen, faith is central to who we are as followers of Jesus. Living a life of faith is central to a life that is thriving in God. Living a life of faith is central to a heart that is breathing in the oxygen of heaven, regardless of the difficult situations that are happening on earth. But as a culture, we have turned living by faith and not by sight into a statement about life versus an anchor in our life. You hearing me? We've turned this into this is how we live versus this is what holds me as I live. And these are very different things. What I mean is in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 is actually strengthened in suffering. It is not threatened by it. To live by faith and not by sight finds strength in hard areas of our life. That scripture is not threatened by hard things that happen in our life. The goal of God for all of us is to live in faith, filled with an understanding of who he is, and not being disconnected from the pain, failings, sickness, fear that is in all of us but that we would find his grace to be sufficient in the pain, sickness, fear, and difficulty that is in all of us. Standing in faith does not mean ignoring the suffering that we might be in. Standing in faith is embracing the suffering that we are in. We can have unmovable faith in what God can do and suffer well and what we're going through they don't fight each other they strengthen each other james 1 verse 2 says this consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. James 1 is not just telling us to find joy in hard things that we're going through. It's telling us to lean into the hard times that we're going through because there is ground being taken in our faith because of the challenges that we're going through in life. That our pain has a purpose. Our suffering has a destination. We don't just have to like go through a hard time and try to just ignore it. That we can find God in it in such a way that we allow it to do its work. That there are 
things that are producing perseverance in us and perseverance will finish its work mature and complete, not liking anything. If you have your Bible, I want you to make your way to Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. If if you have a Bible that's similar to mine, you will see over the top of these verses, Jesus agonizes in the garden. Jesus agonizes in the garden. If you're new to the Bible and, uh, or to church, uh, what's getting ready to happen in Jesus' life is that he is moments away from the cross. And he is moments away from laying his life down, not for anything that he did, but because of everything that we have done. The ultimate, this is not fair. He had done nothing sinless. He was perfect in all and through all, yet he offered himself to be a sacrifice on our behalf, to stand in the gap from our brokenness to God's holiness so that we can experience the fullness of who he is here on earth and be filled with the Holy Spirit in the midst of all that we're going through. Matthew 26, Jesus was feeling the weight of what was coming for him. He was experiencing the emotional churning of looking at coming suffering. This moment in Luke 22 says that Jesus literally was sweating blood. That the agony was so intense within him that that there was literal blood coming out of his pores and on to the dirt. Says this in verse 36, then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And then Jesus went a little further, going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just an hour? You ever been going through something so intense and your friends don't get it? Jesus is like, can't you, can you imagine how alone he felt? how isolated the, the, the guys that he's been walking with in his life, that they're not connecting to what Jesus was experiencing. Jesus is, is anguishing. He's overwhelmed the weight of what's coming. He's not tempted to not do it, but he's feeling the emotions of it. And he's like, would you just hang out with me? And his homies are like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And then they fall asleep. 
And he says, couldn't you just keep watch with me for an hour? And he asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. There are a couple of things that I want us to see in this moment where Jesus was facing a moment of great suffering. The first is, is that Jesus gives us permission to grieve. Jesus gives us permission to grieve. When Jesus said, Father, if there's any other way, what he's saying is, God, this is hard. Like, I, 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 I'm in, but I didn't know it was going to feel like this. He's kind of praying that similar prayer that echoes what Elijah prayed, like, God, I feel like I've had enough. Like, I just, I, is there any other way? Is there any other way? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have a hard time. It's okay to struggle in the middle of the suffering that you're facing. But we need to learn from where Jesus responded in it so that we can learn from it but not have to stay in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus said, okay, not my will, but your will. Jesus was expressing his humanness and his divinity at the same time. He was saying, my flesh is weak. I, I, the, the human part of me is like, dude, this is going to be horrible. And the God side of him is like, oh, but this is what has to be done so that the purpose of God can be fulfilled on the earth so I don't care about all the pain. Not my will, but yours. The second thing that Jesus shows us here in this moment is that we have provision to grieve, one. And second is, is that surrender is the key to suffering well. Surrender is the key to suffering well. Surrender is giving up all control. Telling God that we are not big enough to deal with our pain, our fear, or our suffering. He must take over. And this is a problem because we really like to be in control. This is why when we hit hard times, we start looking for ways out of the hard times, right? Because we, because we want to be in control. We want to be in control of what's going on because control is this false sense of safety. Control is the, the human side of 
what God offers to us in surrender, which is protection, fulfillment, and joy. Earth, when we try to grab those things with our own hands, we try to control the situation that we're in, manipulate it, shift the way that people are seeing it around us so that we feel like we're in control of our suffering versus saying, God, not my will, but yours. I don't want this ending personally, but I surrender to your sovereign plan. This is bigger than me. And so I'm gonna lay before you and say, I'm gonna give you control. I'm gonna surrender, not my will, but yours. Jesus understood that his suffering was a place of transition. This was the biggest transition in human history. The cross was a transition for all of us. Jesus' suffering had a purpose. And that purpose was to close the gap that our sin had created. When we look at the life of Jesus, it's important that we understand that Jesus went through stages in his life. Jesus was born as a baby. Okay? So Jesus was a baby. Then Jesus became a kid. Then he was a teenager. Then he was in his 20s. He was an apprentice, became a carpenter. And then in his 30s, he started his ministry. There, there were stages in Jesus' life. And, and, and what the Bible tells us in Luke 2, 52, that Ju Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That, that every one of these stages was intentional and purposeful, not just so that we could look at Jesus and say he's gone through all that we've gone through, but in the development of who Jesus was called to be. He grew in stature, he grew in wisdom, in favor with God and man. There was a purpose that of developing the wisdom in every stage of Jesus's life. This truth is very helpful for us because we go through stages in our life too. Not just natural stages, but spiritual stages because we're all born as babies. Did you know that? We all start as little babies, okay? Then when we accept Jesus, what, what is the biblical reference to that moment? That we're born again. There's a new life. So there's, a, there's almost a new stage that we begin to walk through. And that new stage in God, and some of you are new to your faith, and, and, and I love it. That stage is, is, is an important, joy-filled, faith-filled stage. Like, I love hanging out with new Christians because they do not understand the limits of humanity at all. And like, you don't want to stand in front of their zeal. You just like love it. It's just like so like... Oh, I love your pure-heartedness. It's because they're, they're children. You see me? You hear me? Children are pure-hearted. 
Like my kids will turn our backyard into Scotland in their mind. And you go in the backyard to cut the grass and they're like, no, you can't do that, dad. There's a moat right there. I'm like, I'm not seeing that. Right? Because they're, 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 they're childlike. And it's a different stage than when you're a teenager and you stop imagining and just start complaining. Sorry, I'm tender. I have teenagers. But it's a different stage. When we receive Jesus, we're young in our faith. We're, we're like children in healthy families. Our confidence in our parents is unshakable. Our confidence in God in that beginning stage is unshakable. Just like if you're, if you're from a healthy family, like your kids 100% trust you, 100% lean in. And there's like, I know that I don't like this, but I'm going to trust that I'm going to like it because I like you. But as we start to grow in our faith and in our pursuit to know him, to be like him, we start to walk with people that are broken just like us. And we begin to also learn more from the word of God for who he is and also a correction for who he is not. So we begin to mature. We begin to get investment. People walk with us, speak life into us. We start reading the Bible for ourselves and we're wrestling through what it says. And in that moment, we are growing in maturity and understanding who God is. And it strengthens our faith. It doesn't threaten our faith. We get more established in who God is because the word of God is our root system that goes down and holds us even when storms are blowing around us. What begins to happen is that God then begins to reveal to us who we are and in contrast to who he is. I remember when I really started going, living for God in college, I remember looking at my roommates, I'm like, dude, I'm such a jerk. Like, when did I become a jerk? And my roommate looked at me and they're like, dude, you've always been a jerk? You just are now aware of the fact that you're a jerk. And that's kind of what happens. Like when, when we really start leaning in and maturing in God, it like brings light to the darkness that is in us. And oftentimes you're like, dude, I feel like I'm sinning more. It's like, no, no, no. It's just now you notice all the sinning you were doing before. You didn't see it before, but now there's a light, the light of life, Jesus, is shining on you and in you, and therefore it is revealing to you the darkness that is in all of us. So then we begin to walk through those things, and we get free from addiction, we get free from stuff, and we start dealing with the trauma of our past and the way that it has marked us, and, and, we, and we get breakthrough, and we get excited, and then you're like, dude, I want to I want to see this happen in other people. And so then you start telling people and you're walking with people and it feels like your life is just like rocking and rolling. It's like you're in your 20s. Nothing can stop me. This is great. I'm always going to have enough money. I'm never going to die. Everything is awesome. I'm always going to be ripped and skinny. I can eat whatever I want. I love life. You know, I mean, it's just like your 20s, just like, whoa. And then, boom! (laughs) 
you hit a real wall. Not like I broke up with my girlfriend wall. You hit a real wall. Someone you know dies unexpectedly. And it shakes you. It's not just like grief. It shakes your faith. Somebody that you knew, that you loved, that you respected, does something unthinkable. And then all of a sudden you are wondering, can I believe anything? I'm talking about a real wall. I'm talking about God called you to do something impossible. He met you along the way. And then all of a sudden disaster strikes. There's no success in sight at all. And you're like, God, do you even speak? Am I talking to anybody? Anybody hit a real wall? I know this is not popular. This is not a popular conversation. It's like better if I'm just like, life is going to be rad. It's going to be amazing. No, I'm, I'm, I don't, you're smarter than that. Life is rad and amazing and awful. But that does not determine how I see God or the faith that I live by at all. Ignoring it, though, robs me of being able to grow through it. There are things that are happening in the place of suffering that is unique. And it's different than other seasons that we go through in our lives. When we look through this lens that we go through stages in life, that we walk through here on earth and we hit these walls of pain and frustration and suffering and these are transition places. When Jesus hit this wall of suffering, it was not the end of his ministry. It was the beginning of a new way that God ministered on the earth. After Jesus ascended to heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, the holy of holies in the temple that was veiled by these thick curtains that would separate the intense fire presence of God from the rest of the church. When Jesus said, it is finished, that veil was torn in two. As a physical picture that that suffering that Jesus endured when he died on the cross, and then when he conquered death and rose back to life, it was a place of transition. His suffering had a purpose, and that transition ushered in the Holy Spirit working in us, all of us, versus us just watching demonstrations of the power of God in front of us. The same thing happens when we go through hard times. It's an invitation into the inner workings of who God has called us to be to start to happen in us. When we surrender to him, there is an inner journey that begins to happen of mature, maturity and growth and development as we surrender in the place of pain, as we stay tender 
when we're experiencing hard and tough things, when we step in and say, God, I don't like it, but not your will, but not my will, but yours. This is not fair, but this lack of fairness is not going to make me question your goodness. I'm telling you, man, like church, we're supposed to be stronger than we are. We're not supposed to be rocked by the storms that are rocking the people who don't have what we have. Yet we look just as vulnerable as they do because we have tried to ignore suffering and we see it as like, oh, if I'm going through a hard time, God must not be for me. Or the favor of God must not be on me because if the favor of God was on me, everything would be rocking. That's a spirit of religion. That's not a spirit of relationship. That's what the Pharisees did. Look, everything's rocks, man. Woo! Everything's great. I'm going to stand on the corner. I'm going to pray really loud. I want everybody to see my offering. I'm going to wear the tightest robes. Look how blessed I am. Look how favored I am. Woo! God is for me. And Jesus goes up to me like, dude, you're a whitewashed tomb, bro. You're, you're not dealing with the death that is inside of you. The death that is inside of you it, it eventually is going to come out of you. And let me just speak to culture. This is why the world feels haywire right now. It's because what COVID did was it, it took all of our masks away. There is no room for pretending anymore. It's like we put a mask on and took a mask off. And so now people are just like, oh, the heck with it, dude. Screw you, waiter. I waited too long for my water. Wow. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> you know, I don't like conflict. You know, I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I'm the guy who's like, they screw up my order. I'm like, it'll be fine. You know, like, I, <laughs> you're like, did you order that? Nah, but I'm okay. It's, it's okay. I know you're probably having a hard night. It's cool. Like, I'm allergic to this, but I'll figure it out. I got been... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like it. So like you hear all this stuff, all the conflict swirling around you and you're just like, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, what is happening? It's, it's, it's actually who people really are. That encourages me. I'm not encouraged by what I'm seeing, but I am encouraged that people are now starting to be honest Because breakthrough always starts with honesty and humility. Every single time. Our place of suffering is a place of transition where the Holy Spirit begins to work in deep ways within us and leads us into understanding who God is in our suffering. Not that we must have done something wrong and so now we are suffering. There is punishment. The Bible is filled with it. But to be honest with you, if I'm going through a hard time because of something that I did, I kind of, I'm like, I get it. If Liz is really mad at me because I was a jerk to her, I'm like, I understand. I'm a jerk. But it's the stuff that it seems like, I don't know how. Why? 
Like when my wife had her stroke two years ago, I was like, this is unfair. This is unfair. Like there's no, why would this happen? Like when, 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 my, when my grandfather like suddenly died of bone cancer, I was like, this is not fair. That, that's the suffering that derails us. It's, a, it's the, the punishment suffering, I think we kind of get it in our mind. If you're living like hell and you're experiencing hell, you might be frustrated a little bit, but at the same time, you're like, you know. But when you're really trying to love God, you're really trying to do what he's called you to do, you're really trying to lay your life down and surrender, and then you just get bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news, and things get worse before they get better. It tempts us to start getting hard-hearted. And your faith crisis might not be you leaving the faith. Your faith crisis might be you stopping believing that faith even matters. But that's not the end goal for our suffering. The end goal of our suffering is to allow God to begin to do some things in us that is unique, that will produce unique fruit in us. Just like James says, like it's consider it pure joy when you go through trials because it's gonna produce perseverance in you. And what it's telling us is that there's a perseverance that only gets produced in that place of struggle. Like you can't get it any other way. It's like skipping leg day. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody work out? <laughs> Nobody works out? Okay, that's fine. I used to look like I work out. I had a really sad time this week. I had coffee with a guy I hadn't seen in a long time. He's like, dude, you still working out? I'm like, yeah, bro. He's like, really? I'm like, <laughs> bummer. But here's the thing, like, the, there, there's strength that you can only get by doing movements that everyone hates. No one likes to do squats, man. No one, except Russians. That's it. But I put Russians up there with people from Oklahoma. We don't understand. Okay? But, like, for the most part, like, you, you, everyone dislikes squats. But if you want to be an actual athlete, no matter what it is that you are an athletic in, squats have to be central in your training because there's strength in those muscles that can only be achieved in one way. That's it. Our suffering produces in us an opportunity to grow muscles that only come in that one way. They only come through us embracing the trials that we're going through and not ignoring them. Thanking God for them versus asking God, where did he go in the middle of them? Because our trials will produce perseverance. I want to close today by reading Philippians 3 verse 7, which is Paul who, who wrote this. He wrote Philippians. He's painting a picture for us here that in the struggle of who we are and all we're trying to figure out in our lives, 
that Jesus is the prize. Says this in verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. We become like him when we surrender to the death that is in us so that his life can live through us. The invitation is that we would pick up our cross, the place of suffering, the place of pain, and see it as a place of transition into God doing more in us that is a unique place than any other place that we have in our walk with him. Consider it pure joy, pure joy, when we face trials of any kind because it produces, it builds, it creates perseverance and hope and faith. Oftentimes what we need to get through what we're going through is found in surrendering to Jesus in the middle of what we're going through. And today my heart is, is that if you're going through a hard time that you meet Jesus in that place. And yeah, man, I'm all in for breakthrough. Let the, the hard time end today. Let the healing for your cancer happen today. Let the restoration of your marriage happen today. But if it doesn't, God is still good. He's still kind. He's still powerful. He's still in control. He is still moving mightily. He is still speaking life over you. And there's a purpose to what you are going through. And God will turn everything for good. Everything. And I don't understand it all. But I'm going to surrender to him. And say, God, not my will but your will. Amen. Can you stand to your feet?